was the night before solstice, and deep in the wood our heroes laid resting, if only they could. It had been near two ten days since they left old Gudo, and while the trip had been peaceful, their hearts ached with woe. The sight of old Frank and the state he was in, with the shocking reveal about his next of kin, left our heroes to ponder about their long-lost friend, and gave rise to some doubts about their journey's end. It was true that Zapor would be quite the discovery, but was it worth loss that seemed beyond recovery? Otis was buried, Orlando burned near death. Who would be next to take their final breath? At least this was the thought on near everyone's mind as they sat round the fire, and they tried to unwind. Baba Femi was wrapped in her cloak back a ways, and she groomed the wolf's coats as she'd done on most days. Tiny eyes felt the threads of the cords round his wrist as he thought of his home and the girl that he missed. Eerie sat by the reins with a book in her hands, as if reading perhaps could help her understand. Andy Wartortle, who usually took things quite well, thought of his grandfather and withdrew in his shell. Even Guy, normally merry, who loved music and food, sat by himself, lost in thought and subdued. Overall, the mood here, it was terribly grim. And after a while, Guy went out on a limb. It's still a bit early, he started to say. There's an old elven ruin that's not that far away. Before they could respond, from the trees shone a light, and they all grabbed their weapons and readied to fight. But the light through the trees was not torchlight or flame, but a brilliant white horse with a glittering mane. For a moment they paused as the beast stopped to graze, and they noticed something rarely seen in their days. On the head of the horse was a white spiral horn. This was not just a horse, but a wild unicorn. They all stared in silence, which was broken, of course, by the voice of the turtle, loudly saying, Weird Horse. The party all winced and suppressed a migraine. They would die for trespassing in this beast's domain. They stood frozen in fear for what seemed like a week when the beast met their gaze and started to speak. I welcome you all to my wood. I dare say you have quite slowed your pace. I've been waiting all day. Femi, Eerie, Ty, Andy, Guy, come, I entreat. There's someone I'd very much like you to meet. With a moment of pause, they all stood in surprise. The first one to speak then was young Tiny Eyes. Good spirit, I thank you for sharing your trust, but tell me who is it you wish to show us? A student of mine, and a good friend of old, to whom your arrival was this morning foretold. Baba Femi was nervous, this could be deceit, but the wolves lie there calmly, resting down at her feet. With a stuttering step they all moved toward the wood, all the while Baba thought this had better be good. They followed the creature through trees and through brush, though before it had spoken, all the while it was hushed. After quite a long trek, the unicorn stopped. When the heroes looked round, their hearts all quickly dropped. Where they stood was a village, quite tiny and plain, but it all was destroyed, scorched by torrents of flame. This place, said the creature, 
was once my friend's home, but a warlock destroyed it with flame and with stone. This man sought a power that lived in this place, a font of pure magic he hoped to deface. My friend has lost much, and I'm sure you have too, and he's asked you all here to give counsel to you. As the unicorn finished, it bid them adieu. Then it took a few steps, and it faded from view. They stood and they waited for someone to show, but after quite some time they began to lose hope. They stood longer still, and then they got impatient. Surely there was a reason for their midnight displacement. Clearly they were victims of some rogue fairy's jest, but it was too dark to head back, so they set camp to rest. Midnight approached and the solstice drew near, a day which a druid should surely hold dear. The change into winter was marked with a feast, with games and good friends, but they all had been fleeced. With their holiday ruined, now trapped in the wood, our heroes got cranky, and well that they should. But there came a small noise as they started to snore, and on a small house they saw an opening door. Out stepped a small man, even shorter than Ty, with two rosy cheeks and a glint in his eye. It seemed this was he for whom they'd waited hours, this little old gnome with a beard full of flowers. They saw this occur, and then out from her pout, Baba Femi did rise, and she started to shout, We've been here for hours, she snarled with a sneer. What's so important we came all the way here? The gnome simply smiled. I have watched you for days. I offer you guidance to help clear your way. It may not be much, but it may help a bit. And he walked to their camp and proceeded to sit. The gnome helped himself to a bowl of their food, but clearly the party was not in the mood. Baba Femi was cross and began to protest, but Eerie insisted to hear what came next. Please, my friend, Eerie pled with some haste. If you've something to say, we have no time to waste. Very well, said the gnome while licking his fingers. There is power in this place that to this day still lingers. A portal exists to a place of pure magic, but the history of it is something quite tragic. There once was a school where fey magic was taught, but there was a man thought that this power could be bought. When the elders refused to let him through the door, he flew into a rage, and from his hands he did pour fire and brimstone, and what happened then? The portal was closed, never opened again. When at last the foul wretch was brought to his knees, it brought the man who slayed him no real sense of ease. The damage was done, the message was clear, the door to the Feywild was not safe out here. So the Fey made a deal. From then, but twice a year, the portal would open to spread solstice cheer. A darkness still lurks in that magical place. It is one that till now I'd no hope to erase. I once had a group of strong fighters and friends, but my mind was then addled, and just for the end, I fled from their side, for I'd gotten a vision. Believe me, it was not an easy decision. I left them alone, on the eve of a war, without even telling them why or what for. A choice that I've made that I dearly regret, but I trusted they'd win even without me, and yet as I stand in this place I'm reminded by you the power of friendship and what it can do. For perhaps if I'd known folks like them years ago, we could have stopped that mage for he dealt his last blow. The gnome sat for a bit with his hands loosely clasped, 
Then he said, but I suppose what's past is past. I must ask my new friends if it's not too much bother. Would you lend me your aid in avenging this slaughter? Baba Femi sat rapt, now with tears in her eyes. Yes, we'll help. I, I mean, if it's okay with you guys. All the party agreed. It seemed selfish, they thought, to leave this poor gnome after the battles they'd fought. This gnome was like them. A man who'd lost friends, and perhaps if they'd helped, it would help make amends for the pits they now felt in their souls since the loss of their families, the mere thought of which made their eyes gloss. The gnome then looked happy. Ecstatic, it seemed. He said, This is perfect, just like I've seen in my dream. There is an old man I would like you to meet. My old headmaster, he squealed as he rose from his seat. He's a jolly old elf. Well, elfish, I suppose. Though in the Feywild you can change form like your clothes. He's a kind, gentle soul of the Fey's seely court and the Lord of the Eladrin, at least the wintry sort. He wears garlands and robes and he wields a great gourd. All the Fey in the wilds call him the Winter Lord. With no pause and no thought to explain all these words, the gnome skipped along as if on the wings of a bird. The party kept pace, though they found it quite tough to weave through the trees, the journey was rough. But then, after a time, breathing heavy like fools, they found a small clearing surrounded by toadstools. Eerie knew from her books such a place often meant a meeting of fairies, which made her discontent. The Fae often were tricksters, that much was clear, but her heritage gave her some pause and some fear. By nature, a changeling was thought of as Fae, but she never had thought of herself in that way. Wherever she came from, for some reason she felt that she would not be welcome, but kept it to herself. Here we are, cried the gnome as the party arrived. It won't be long now. Everyone, look alive. In a matter of moments, the air turned sharply cold as the group saw the air of the field start to fold with a sharp gust of wind and the sound of a pop. With a blinding bright light, the whole group felt a drop. When their vision returned, the fey circle was gone, replaced by a field of white snow and the light of the dawn. The forest was there and they all were intact but the trees were more vibrant and taller, in fact. And though the whole world was now covered in snow, they all felt a warmth and the air seemed to glow. As they walked through the woods, feeling light on their feet, the gnome said their journey was nearly complete. As they broke through the trees, they saw a great sight, a huge, shining building emitting soft light. This structure was built in the trunk of a tree, near a hundred times larger than a tree ought to be. The building was regal with towers and keeps, and as they approached they heard not a peep. The gnome then explained that this once was a school, where only the best saw the grand vestibule. They approached the great place, but the turtle stopped short. He shouted to duck, then withdrew to his fort. An arrow whizzed by where his head had just been. As Ty felt a sharp pain as one just grazed his skin, the gnome was distressed. This he did not expect, and he conjured a bubble with the aim to protect. A few arrows bounced off of this magical shield when suddenly the volley of shots seemed to yield. The bubble intact, the snowbanks began to shift as nearly two dozen figures emerged from the drifts. 
These creatures stood tall with cold, bluish-white skin. Eri identified them as Fae Eladrin. These fairy folk elves of the wintry sort were often in charge of defending the court of a powerful fay, which the gnome then confirmed as he spoke then in Sylvan, a speech few could have learned. The gnome said to the elves that they were friend, not foe, and that he'd known their master a long time ago. He brought the group here to help the Winterlord fight against corruption that lingered since the warlocks fell blight. It took some convincing, it seemed, to be sure, but the elves sheathed their bows. Perhaps they'd been premature. Suilad Melonamin, the lead Eladrin said. Forgive us, we thought all the Darses were dead. They are, said the gnome, save for one, so it seems. Are you all in distress? I saw so in my dreams. It is true, sighed the elf. We have seen better days. A shadow corruption cast the realm in a haze. Well, perhaps we can help, said the young halfling monk, to which Andy said, Yeah, you look like you're in a funk. The Eladrin laughed, his spirits seemed lifted. Perhaps they could destroy the curse the warlock afflicted. He brought them inside to the halls of the court, but when the gnome saw what lay within, his breath caught short. The Winter Lord, friend and headmaster to him, sat in his throne, shriveled, looking quite grim. The massive fay, dressed in a garland and robes, seemed sapped of his strength, shrunk too small for his clothes. Unable to speak, the thing wheezily sighed as he stared with no thought in his sunken dark eyes. The gnome could barely contain this great shock as he shakily turned to the captain to talk. What is this? wheezed the gnome. Has it gotten this bad? I'm afraid, said the elf. The last power he had was to open the portal just one solstice more. Without help, we can ne'er again open that door. Baba Femi had trouble hiding her pain. Though she hated the winter and often complained of the cold when it came, as a druid she knew that if this old fay withered, the world soon would too. They were humbled to be in a presence so great, but they all feared that it was too little, too late. The shadow, the Eladrin said with a start, is not in the wild, but deep in his heart. When it started to spread through field and through glen, the old lord absorbed it, contained it, but then it quickly consumed him, shriveled him in this way. They say his large heart shrank three sizes that day. The shadow consumes him, its dark power teems, it seems that it even inhabits his dreams. It was this last phrase that the gnome had a strange thought. Perhaps, the gnome smiled, this has not been for naught. He explained that his divination came in dreams, that this focus he thought could help more than it seemed. Preparing the party for his grand new plan, he finally paused to ask if they understand. For the most part, the party just offered blank stares, but the gnome assured them that they were all in his care. Do you trust me? He asked. Have I led you astray? Help me, and we will save my father today. The gnome caught himself in this slip of the tongue, but the group understood, and the word father stung. Every one of them knew of the pain he had felt, and they all pledged themselves in his service to help.
With a smile and a nod, the gnome looked to them and said, Now I think it's time you folks went to bed. Their eyelids grew heavy as they laid on the floor of the keep, as the gnome said a spell, and they drifted to sleep. Baba Femi woke first in a shadowy place, so dark she could not see her hand for her face. Her friends were all gone, and so was her pack, and all she had left were the clothes on her back. She flew into a panic and searched all around. Her relics were missing, nowhere to be found. She started to sprint with a loud, anguished cry. She would track down who stole them, that person would die. She ran, and she ran as fast as she could, when she saw a tall figure in a cloak and a hood. She stopped, and she asked where the artifacts were. She brandished her staff, but her vision started to blur. As the creature approached, the air began to turn cold. As it pushed off its hood, its skin shining pure gold. Baba Femi, unable to move or to fight, saw the creature emit a bright, radiant light. The creature had something clenched tight in its fist. It revealed it to be the charm from Femi's wrist. The Zaporin symbol that hung from a chain suddenly turned red and burst into flame. The thing spoke in a voice Baba Femi knew well. The path that you walk will lead straight into hell. Before she could react, the thing brandished a sword. Baba Femi just froze as the creature came toward. In the streets of the elf city, Silvery Moon, there sat a small girl gently humming a tune. The girl was an elf, or at least seemed to be. As she saw someone coming, she giggled with glee. Her gleeful squeals suddenly turned into tears, which grew ever louder as the passers-by neared. She had done this all day and had heard a few clinks as they dropped her some coppers and off she would slink. This had gone on for a while, several years in fact, as Eerie got better at this down-and-out act. She lived on the streets, which was true, more or less, but she recently found a power she possessed. When the people were stingy, she'd transform into them, then go to their home and take coins and take gems. But all of this changed when a man came to town, who had his own cart that he shuttled around. This beautiful elf with a bushy moustache, who came into town overflowing with cash. Eerie, instinctively drawn to this man, laughed to herself as she formed a new plan. A beautiful temple stands alone in a field, as Tai sits in its hospital, his eyes not quite healed. Tai, standing outside, watched himself through the glass, as he noticed that somehow he was taller than the rest of his class. He stood near six foot, but before he knew why, he saw a reflection that now caught his eye. Reuben Marshfielder, he heard a voice call from behind. Thanks to you, that young halfling boy might end up blind. This crime goes past action probationary. You are no longer welcome in this monastery. Though Ty wanted to protest, this body moved on its own, and through Reuben's eyes he saw horrors he'd hoped not to have known. For months and years later he was slave to a cult, being beaten and whipped till he was an adult. Then one day, 
He begged and he pleaded and prayed that Ilmater would give him strength. He was afraid. But unlike the Reuben that Ty met much later, the prayers that Ty sent were ignored by Ilmater. Confused and distraught, Ty kept desperately praying, but that didn't save him from his daily flaying. Eventually, desperate and broken inside, the strength that was left in him fizzled and died. To spare himself from this near-daily assault, Ty gave up and surrendered his soul to the cult. In a room, in a house, in a hole, in a bog, a large turtle sat thinking, his head in a fog. Angry and embarrassed he'd failed all these years, Andy just tried to hold back rage-filled tears. His grandfather gone, Andy's job was to search, and if he didn't succeed, his honor was besmirched. He sat and he waited, but felt no connection. He hoped his ancestors would give him direction. He opened his eyes and was on a large ship, a vision, perhaps, of his grandfather's trip. A tiefling, a halfling, a changeling, and he were sailing off west on a ship on the sea. Were these his grandfather's traveling companions? He thought to himself as he saw desert canyons. He flashed to a crypt where he saw a crushed shell. Another turtle was here, it seemed. In battle he fell. In shock, Andy noticed the shell carved with runes, the same ones on his back that emitted blue fumes. He saw on the wall a large carved-out map, but on the far wall there seemed to be a gap. Something massive was missing, of that he was sure, but from the corner the sarcophagus started to stir. Baba Femi felt pain as the sword ran her through. I love you so much, but I have to hate you. She looked down to where her blood had been spilt and saw her own face as she pushed in the hilt. Baba Femi went cold while she watched herself die, and she saw someone else out of the corner of her eye. Her father stood smiling and started to float as her mother appeared behind and sliced open his throat. The woman, with skin shining brightly as gold, flew off as a funeral bell loudly tolled. Baba Femi saw two doors, both ornate and grand, as the corpse of her father rose to stand. In front of one door was her father, alive. By the other, her mother without her disguise. With a thought, Femi ran to her father's embrace, but as she approached, the figure began to erase. The door opened wide, and inside Femi fell into the fire and flames of the dark pits of hell. Looking up, a large figure sat up on a throne, and a woman approached with a tale of her own. You tried so very hard, and so far you have roamed. But it's time to rest now. You're finally home. Baba Femi, enraged at this creature's condescension, turned into a wolf and made known her dissension. She bit and she clawed like an angry wild dog, when the woman transformed into a cloud of smog. 
With two burning red eyes and an ear-piercing shriek, the shadow attacked with its claws and its beak. The mustachioed elf seemed to be rich or right, so Eerie hatched her plan in the dead of the night. The elf was an actor, so during a show, she snuck into his wagon to make off with his dough. The inside was gorgeous, if gaudy at least, and she tore through his drawers like a ravenous beast. She found not a copper, a gem, or a jewel. And after she searched, she felt like a fool. The one thing she found that caught her attention was a portrait that filled her with deep apprehension. It depicted the elf, and from what she could infer, his wife, a woman who looked just like her. It didn't make sense, Eerie thought to herself. It looked like her mother somehow knew this elf. Her mother had died when she was very small. These thoughts distracted her as she stood there enthralled. The door slammed wide open as she heard the man shout, but she didn't stay long enough to hear what about. Yuri rushed past him, the picture in hand, as she shuffled through memories trying to understand. She ran clear across town before stopping to rest, as she felt a deep pit deep inside of her chest. As the snow fell around her, she looked up to see a large man sitting on a throne through the trees. A shadowy beast seemed to hang near his ear, and Eerie, an adult again, trembled with fear. The beast screeched and flew at Eerie with speed as it suddenly found a new place to feed. After a period of violent conditioning, the cult decided Ty needed repositioning. So back to the Abbey of the Shining Hand, Ty was sent back by the cult with a plan. He'd serve their new leader, a vain, cruel beast, as a gesture of good faith by the cultist high priest. This warlord had something the cult wanted dearly, and Ty would secure it, however severely. Ty laid in wait, serving right at his side. All the while, while he served, he stayed silent and spied. After months, the insurgent had earned the man's trust, while Ty watched what he did to the trainees in disgust. Several students had died while Ty watched and did nothing, which even through the brainwashing, Ty knew was disgusting. And one day, when Ty could bear it no more, he rushed to his chambers and opened the door. The warlord was sleeping, and Ty saw his opportunity. He grabbed the man's knife and stabbed him with impunity. All the while, he saw through the haze of his rage that this man was no warlord, but a kindly old sage. A man he had known from his days as a monk. When he saw what he'd done, he quickly shrunk. A shadowy creature sprang forth from behind, made from the rage and guilt felt in Ty's mind. This was the shadow they'd come here to fight, and he would destroy it to save Solstice Night. In the tomb, Andy saw the sarcophagus move, but quickly realized he had nothing to prove. He opened his eyes and emerged from his trance, and from inside his shell smoke and blue light danced. He sat in his hut as the smoke coalesced in the form of a turtle, the goal of his quest. The spirit then spoke in a painfully slow voice and said to his grandson, he made the right choice. It is tough to contend with the rage in one's heart, 
The best way to do it is to not even start. He chastised Andy for not calling more often, but soon enough his voice began to soften. This quest that you're on and the friends you have made will take you to places I should not have strayed. But you'll be a great hero and forge a great course, even more so than finding your grandpa's old corpse. So stick with these folks, because they'll need your help. And try to call more, and eat some more kelp. You're putting on weight, it's not good to see. And if ever you need to talk, I'm always free. The old spirit faded, and Andy stood up, wiped a tear from his eye, put some kelp in a cup, and walked back outside, where he saw a large throne, whereupon sat a man that was just skin and bone. In the chamber he saw shades of all of his friends, and he knew that dream spell would soon come to an end. The party looked scattered in states of distress, and a shadowy beast fed off of this mess. One by one, Andy went up to each of the crew, and he touched all their shoulders as they came back into view. Standing back in the chamber where they all fell asleep, everyone looked confused as they looked round the keep. Andy calmly pointed at the shadowy thing, as Guy, though once silent, proceeded to sing. Surprised and confused, the heroes felt joy. Inspired to fight, they all cheered for their boy. With claws and with spear and with staff and with spell, they waylaid the beast until, finally, it fell. With a gasp and a screech from the creature now slain, our heroes looked to the throne, their energy drained. They saw it was empty and panicked at first, when suddenly from it a brilliant light burst. Anew on his throne, in his robes and his wreaths, was the Winter Lord, now very far from deceased. He looked very tired still as he sat in his seat. With all he'd been through, it was no shock he was beat. Ty stepped forward to the old Winter Lord. Perhaps your hand would know its old strength better if it gripped your gourd. The Winter Lord smiled as he reached to his side and pulled up a giant squash beaming with pride. As he looked on his saviors, he let out a chuckle. Ho, 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 thanks to you all, now my belt cannot buckle. His full form had returned, he was jolly and fat. He adjusted his belt and he tilted his hat. My friends, what you have done cannot be understated. It appears that our meeting was nothing short of fated. My thanks to you all, and my student as well. I am sorry if all of this put you through hell. Baba Femi laughed nervously, but quickly stopped. After all, it was hell where she had just been dropped. My friends, you deserve much more than I can give. Thanks to you, the world may yet continue to live. I'll give you a gift, don't tell, I'm quite good at guessing. When you all awake, you will all have my blessing. And with a wave of his gourd and another great laugh, our heroes awoke at their camp near the path. A bit shaken and rattled from their own bizarre night, they noticed around them the ground was all white, a soft, gentle snowfall 
set in while they lay, as the bright morning sun rang in solstice day. They looked at each other and all started laughing. No one was quite sure if what happened had happened. But one thing they knew, and they knew it for sure, they'll all stick together and they can endure. As they hitched up the carts and headed off down the path, they heard on the wind a soft, hearty laugh. And they heard in their hearts as they rode toward the light, Happy solstice to all, and to all a good night. <laughs>